Welcome to Let's Talk Land, a weekly international land education talk show devoted to learning about land and farms, buying and selling, and ownership, especially for real estate agents and realtors. Hey, learn from the experts, guys. This is free land education, hard to find out there. Hi, my name's Lou Jewell. I'm an accredited land consultant with my co-host this morning, Teresa Martin. Good morning, Teresa. Hey, Lou. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I hope you are. What do you think about this show? I'm ready to go. Are you? It's going to be great. Lots to talk about. I know. We serve Western Piedmont, North Carolina, and Southern Virginia in our real estate company, Land Pro Real Estate. Just give us a shout. We'll help you out. All of our shows are dedicated to the Realtors Land Institute staff and members. And our national websites, www.rli for Realtors Land Institute and the word land, rliland.com. Now listen to me. I've been doing this a long time. If you're in the process of buying land or farms or selling land and farms, go to that website. We have members, 28, over 2,800 nationwide, and there's about 650 that carry the ALC designation and very proud of it because we know how to play the game. We know how to save you money. If you're buying, we know how to make you money if you're selling. So go to that website, www.rliland.com. Hey, we'd like to thank our sponsors, LandHub.com. Buying or selling land, LandHub is the place to be. And AcreValue, AcreValue is the only website I need to do land research. Teresa, I'd like to thank our guest this morning, T.R. Clark. Welcome, T.R. All right. Glad to be here. Where are you calling from? Well, I am originally from uh, Dallas, North Carolina, and we'll get into that in a second. But I am calling you from Lafayette, Alabama. Where's Where's Lafayette in the scheme of the boot? Lafayette, Alabama is located in east-central Alabama. Uh, for, for point of reference, we're just about 25 or 30 miles north of Auburn and uh, probably an hour to an hour and a half. Uh, southwest of Atlanta. Oh, okay. What a great location down there. Beautiful country. A lot, a lot of trees down that way, too, right? That's the reason I'm here. Yes, I, sir. Uh, well, we're going to see if we can help some folks out a little bit, not only to learn about your background, but your companies as well. And I always want to throw your website, and I'll do this a couple times, TR, and you're welcome to do it, too, because some people, uh, if you're not driving, uh, you know, listen to this in off hours or whether. Uh, doing some other things, but uh, if you get a chance, go to FW, FW Forestry, that's F-O-R-E-S-T-R-Y dot net, it's dot net, and check out the website, because we're going to be talking about his company in this show. Okay, TR, it's all yours. Very good. Well, again, appreciate the opportunity to come on. Uh, you know, I'm, I have roots in North Carolina. I was born and raised in a little town called Dallas. Uh I think Gastonia has just about engulfed it now since I've left, uh, you know, 20-odd-some years ago. But uh, grew up there and uh, always aspired to be able to work outdoors in somehow, some way, and ended up at NC State and uh, graduated with a BS in forest management from there in the year 2000. And uh, so right out of school, I, I worked with another company for a short time, but in 2003, I landed with F&W Forestry and uh, been right here uh, operating out of their Lafayette, Alabama operation uh, 
for the last, uh, well, this is year 20 with, with F&W. And right now I'm serving as their regional manager here. Uh, I manage Timberland uh, just about across all of Alabama, uh, west central Georgia, and I actually manage a, a small amount in east or you know, easternmost Mississippi. And our primary business is forest management, uh, private timberland consulting, and timberland brokerage. And uh, you know, as you know, having this role with F and W, you know, I, I do get involved with a lot of the associations, ACF and GFAFA. I, I refer to those as the alphabet soup of, of forestry. But yeah, what are those? Can you, instead of acronyms, just tell us a little bit what those are? I can do that, yes, sir. So uh, Alabama uh, Forestry Association, uh, Georgia Forestry Association, Society of American Foresters, uh, Association of Consulting Foresters, and uh, now Realtors Lands Institute, uh, just just became a member this year. Welcome aboard. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Uh, glad glad to be here and, and look forward to, to getting involved. And uh, you know, one thing I've learned about RLI is very similar to ACF. It it is really a an organization of like minded individuals that can help each other. You know, do what we do. So uh, glad to be here and looking forward to learning. It is a family. It is a family. It's totally different of all the other. Realtors organization, or at least that's my perception, and uh, yep. shared by many. But we are a family, and we help each other, which is refreshing in a competitive industry. Most definitely. But uh, just just a little bit of personal information. I've, I've been married for, for 23 years. Uh, right now we have three children and one grandchild, and uh, who knows, maybe more grandchildren in the future here. But uh, anyway, we, we had our first grandbaby uh, this past year, she will be one years old this week. All right, congratulations. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, definitely. If we're going to talk about important things, I, I had to talk about No, that's probably on top of the list, I'd say. Yes, sir. But uh, going back to our company, you know, F&W Forestry was you know, founded back in 1962 by a man named Ely Frazier. And the, the company is now... Uh, Centrally, its central office is in Albany, Georgia. But funny thing, Mr. Ely was born and raised right here in Lafayette, Alabama. Hmm. So I'm I'm currently operating the you know his original office, if you will, uh, before he ventured off to, to start F and W Forestry in Albany, and then you know things came full circle, and F and W bought this office back. Uh, I think in the year 2002, the year before I came. But uh, he built the this this company on the foundation of just helping forest landowners achieve their goals for how they want to manage the property. And um, you know the the first thing that folks often think of is timber sales, which of course we do conduct timber sales for for forest landowners, but it, it doesn't end there. A lot of forest landowners have the objective of wildlife, for example, over timber income, or, or perhaps they have an aesthetic uh, objective with their land. And our goal is to help them get there. Now, we, we are experts in, in all things forest management, um, but our expertise, 
cease doesn't mean much unless we first listen to the landowner and, and what what they want to do with their property. Once we get a vision or, or get their vision for their objective of ownership, we can then use our expertise to advise and help them get to where they want their property to be. Gee, I'll just and, break in on that. Um, yeah. give, give us a few examples of what people are looking for uh, to have your type of service. Just give us some. Yeah, th- sure. Well, I'll, I'll start with, uh, you know, the, the simplest is, is timber sales consulting. And so if, if a landowner decides to sell timber, they can use our services to help market the timber. And, and much like a real estate agent helps a client through the sale of a piece of property or a, or a residential you know, house, we help them through the sale of the timber uh, by using strategies to uh, you know, either find the right logger, if it is an aesthetic or a, a thinning uh, objective, or uh, you know, if they just want to get the most money for it, we use a bid process uh, to, to make sure that we canvass the market and, and get the best bid possible. We also, we don't leave them once the closing occurs. We also you know, supervise the logging, make sure that uh, the operation goes according to the contract. That's one example. You know, a, a second example is, you know, a landowner comes to us and says, hey, you know, we would like to manage with wildlife being our, our primary object, objective. Well, in that case, uh, you know, it may involve some timber cutting and timber sales, but it may also, you know, our recommendations for the property may also include things like, um, you know, prescribed burning or, you know, fostering browse for, for wildlife, for the deer, for the quail, whatever their target species is. So, you know, the, the goals of a landowner can, can be one of a million things, but, but our job is to hear what their goal is and then help them get T.R., what's the purpose of prescribed burning? Prescribed burning has a lot of purposes. And uh, one purpose, probably one of the main purposes, is to reduce the risk of wildfire. And so if, if you have, you know, if somebody throws out a cigarette on the side of the road and you've never done any prescribed burning on your property, there is going to be an incredible amount of uh, dry fuel on that forest floor, and that cigarette could very well cause a catastrophic wildfire. Mm. But if you conduct periodic control burns, say once every two or three years, that fuel loading is going to be greatly reduced, and that fire, if it happens on accident or if somebody, you know, God forbid, um, sets one on purpose on your land, then there's not enough fuel there to damage the timber. That's the main purpose. The second purpose is it's incredibly good for wildlife. So any time that you are able to burn um, the forest floor and, and burn off that uh, fuel that covers the soil, you get better mineral soil, which is a seed bed for fresh sprouts and fresh browse for wildlife. And a third purpose is aesthetics. It, it does aid in cleaning up over time the, the understory or the underneath portion of the, of the forest and opens it up and really makes it look good. So they, those are usually the, the three primary purposes of, of control burn. Who do you get to do that? Oh, we do it. 
Oh, you do it. Okay. We do. So uh, we'll, we do get contract help if, if we get a little behind. Um, but uh, I am a certified control burn manager in Alabama, and um, we, we conduct burns. So how do you keep the trees from catching on fire that you don't want to burn? Well, we use different methods to control the intensity of the fire. Um, so the, the very first thing that we're going to do on a controlled burn uh, is create a plan. And, and that burn plan is going to basically set the criteria for the weather that we will use for a specific piece of property. Um, so we need the wind to be just right. We need the humidity, relative humidity, to be within a certain range. We need you know, so many days after rain. And all of these variables help us you know, quote and unquote, control the fire. And um, and then the day of the burn, you know, the wind direction will, de- you know, de- help us determine where to start the fire. And we may just use a very low intensity fire that burns against the wind so that it doesn't have the opportunity to have the wind behind it and, and create, you know, an uncontrolled situation. And in uh, most forests, So not just everybody should just go set their woods on fire. <laughs> no, Teresa, ma'am, we, you are we a little bit of training and Teresa. experience under another manager. Yes, I don't want anybody that's listening to this show to go out and start a daggum forest fire. Let, let, let's not do that. Good gracious, I can't believe Teresa. I just wanted to make sure nobody did. <laughs> well, I mean, don't plant the seed. <laughs> that's right. But anyway. Uh, T.R. is our guest today, T.R. Clark. He's regional manager of R&W Forestry Service. This is Let's Talk Land. We'd like to thank our sponsors, LandHub.com. Are you looking to buy or sell land? LandHub.com previews thousands of properties nationwide. That's LandHub.com. And AcreValue, our sponsor, if you want to know who owns the field down the road or what it sold for last year, the best place to research it and solve free is AcreValue.com. Methodologies of, of, of marketing timber to maximize your return. I appreciate the question. There's there's a couple of primary methods. It's, it's weird that you ask this. I actually gave a presentation to the Alabama Forest Owners Association in Guntersville, Alabama, two weeks ago on this very subject. They they asked me to give them a presentation called "The Nuts and Bolts of Selling Timber." And, uh, you know, it all goes back again to what the objectives of the landowner is and uh, what type of cutting that you're going to do. And, uh, you know, what I'm going to give you right now is uh, it may not be hard and fast fact, but it is uh, my opinion based on the experience I've had selling timber over the years. Okay. But um, 
landowner that uh, is ready for finest, that that is, uh, you know, PC language for clear cut, uh, when the, the timber has reached full maturity uh, and it is ready to be marketable. I'm going to interject one question. You got softwoods, you got hardwoods. What's the difference in full maturity? Okay, I'm sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, no problem. But usually for a final harvest, uh, my, my preferred method is, is a lump sum timber sale. Uh, so in that case, we are uh, preparing a bid sale where when the bids come in, the high bid, uh, if, if it meets what we think uh, you know, our, our market values, uh, we'll sell that timber up front and uh, the landowner will get paid before any stick of timber is cut. And, and I like that method because it takes all of the risk of, of the valuation and the merchandising of that timber out of the landowner's pocket. Um, so if, once the logger moves in and begins to merchandise the timber, if, if he's putting high-value logs and sending them on, to, uh, on a low-value uh, truck sending them to the wrong mill, it's not the landowner's loss. Uh, I, that's that's my preference when, when it comes time to, for a final harvest. But uh, on the other side of that coin, the other method to sell timber is usually by the unit, which can be either by the ton or by the thousand board feet uh, if or by the cord, if some states are still selling by the thousand board feet or by the cord. Down here, we primarily sell by the ton. But uh, the instances when you have to sell uh, that way is usually a thinny because it's very difficult to quantify how much volume and, and what products are going to come out of a thinning up front. Uh, so it gives the buyers a little bit more comfort if they know they're going to be cutting or paying for the timber as they cut it. And in some circumstances uh, where a final harvest may have some hurdles to it, you may have to do it at per unit as well. And some of those hurdles may be a difficult access or maybe it has some, it's a small acreage uh, where it's difficult to, you know, get a good sample on how much volume is there. But, uh, you know, again, lump sum and per unit are the two primary ways that, that we sell timber. Uh, and, and going back to your question, the difference between soft wood and hardwood. So the, the easiest way to, quant to, to define those things is soft wood is a pine. In, in most, it's a conifer of some sort. And then hardwood is, of course, what you would traditionally think of as a hardwood, your oaks and your hickories. But there's also different classifications of, of hardwood. There are soft hardwoods and hard hardwoods. And in your example of a hard hardwood, again, would be your oaks, your hickories, your ash. Um, and then a soft hardwood would be a poplar or a sweet gum or an elm. Uh, but, uh, so, so there are different classifications there. And, you know, going back to how we sell timber, you know, it, there may be instances where the per unit will benefit you more if you are in a predominantly hardwood-type market where you have varieties of oaks, a red oak, a white oak, that each bring a different price per thousand. 
and it may be easier to capture full value if you sell per unit that way. But uh, again, that's this is my <clears throat> opinion and based on experience, and it also depends on you know the market region that I operate in. So in this part of the world, uh, this market is very receptive to a lump sum timber sale. They are, this market is accustomed to paying for timber up front. But that option may not be available in some markets, particularly where you have um, smaller outfits <clears throat> that supply your market as the buyers. Smaller outfits may not have the funds to put all the money up front, so in those circumstances you may have to sell on, on a per unit basis. But uh, yeah, that's those are the methods, and uh, any, any questions about those? What's the minimum amount? Uh, in this area, we talk about 18 truckloads. Uh, you know, a guy will call you up and he's got three acres of land and he wants to cut the timber. Uh, the big guys aren't going to address that, are they? They're not. They're not. And, and again, that varies by market region. But, but down here, just kind of as a rule of thumb, <clears throat> I tell landowners that if they want to get full market exposure, they probably need to have 35 or 40 acres <clears throat> to, to get the interest of any and every buyer. It, it, you know, accessibility matters. Uh, if, if you have direct paved frontage but only 15 acres with good volume, you can probably get some interest. Um, but if you have 50 acres but no deeded access and you're you know, a mile from pavement, it's going to be a difficult sale. So, so the number... Is, is a moving target, but, uh, you know, I, I use 40 acres as a rule of thumb, but there are other factors that affect it. So the hard hardwoods, are they the, the more valuable, or are the soft hardwoods, do they have their place as well? You know, this, that, that is a great question, and both are the answer, and let me, let me explain why. So right now... I, Perhaps our most valuable product is uh, is uh, white oak staves. In other words, what they make a whiskey barrel out of uh, is it, for a single tree that we could cut off a forest right now. That single tree is going to bring the single highest price. So that would put hard hardwoods on top of the list as as far as value goes. However, it takes 60, 70, you know, maybe 80 years to get that white oak tree to a point of where it's reached full maturity. Um, so when you begin to consider the time value of money, perhaps that tree isn't worth as much as the three full rotations of time that you could grow in that period of time. Um, the example might be, you know, right now a hardwood, excuse me, a, a pine log may bring, you know, a 15, 20, I'm just throwing some numbers out, but 15 or 20 or 30 percent of what that white oak logs want to bring. But the thing is, we can grow three full rotations from planting to cutting to replanting to cutting to replanting to cutting of pine in the time it takes to grow that hardwood tree. So that hardwood tree carries with it the single greatest value. But if we're going to talk about return on investment, those harvests, those pine harvests, are going to occur much much closer in time, and 
over time eclipse the, the value of that hardwood. And again, I'm, I'm speaking about my market here. We are in a pine-dominated market. We can grow timber incredibly fast. And if we're in Appalachia, it's not so conducive to pine management. And in Appalachia, hardwood is the dominant product. But uh, So it, it could be both. TR, uh, yes. my understanding is uh, timber is a commodity. Uh, you've got the commodity exchange, and each, each, each species of tree, uh, depending on supply and demand, uh, may be up in the, in the pines one, one year, and it may be up in the hardwoods one year, or, or the varietals. Is that true? It, it can fluctuate. I, I feel like that... Uh, you know, pine is, is going to be the bulk of the market because it is the basis of most buildings in our, in our area. I mean, you're, you're not going to use a, a red oak for, for a stud or a two-by-six in the construction. But uh, <clears throat> hardwoods fill the more, more of the specialty markets, you know, the, the flooring, the, the cabinets, etc. cetera. Um, I, I think the two are married, however, uh, because, you know, once you frame up your house with pine, you need to, you know, make it extravagant with the hardwood products. So I think the two are married. I've always heard loblolly pines. Is that what you're supposed to, is that the better? Or, I mean, can you do all pines or black pines? Any sure. Count? So the most building is done with southern yellow pine. And southern yellow pine are pines of different species that all have similar or perhaps the same type of wood qualities. And those pines are loblolly slash short, short leaf and long leaf and, short, uh, and uh, to a lesser extent Virginia pine. But those have the same wood qualities. And you asked specifically about loblolly pine. Loblolly has been the one that has been most uh, reactive to our management of it. Uh, we've been able to improve uh, the genetics of loblolly through selective breeding, probably the same way that, that thoroughbreds come about. We, we look at the traits of the tree, and if it grows fast, it's straight, then, then we're going to take you know, the pollen from this one and mix it with the cones of this one over here, and we're going to get the, you know, get a desired tree, one that grows fast and produces nice lumber. Um, so the reason you hear about loblolly so much, is it is the one that has really um, shown good results from, from our management of it. But longleaf will produce the same type of lumber. It just takes a little bit longer to grow. Uh, slash has been, uh, you know, pretty favorably reactive to, to the way that we manage it. Uh, short leaf, again, like long leaf, is a slower grower, but will produce the same type of lumber. But uh, loblolly is the dominant uh, pine species for, for management in the southeast. So the moral of this story is buy your baby for their shower gift land for their retirement. <laughs> Teresa, you promoting land. Promoting land for retirement. That's a great idea. It's a, it's it's better than the stock market. What do you think? <laughs> the trees aren't going anywhere. Mm -mm. And you can. That's true. Um, the stock market can go up or down, 
and uh, timber prices can go up or down. But if you plant timber, it grows, and you're going to have more timber next year than you have this year. And trees are just supposed to go up. (laughs) When they come down, that's not good. (laughs) TR, can you explain what veneer is? Veneer is basically peeled um, peeled lumber. So if you see a plow, a, a sheet of plywood, it is basically pine veneer with perhaps a, uh, a uh, yellow poplar or sweet gum filling. If you see four or five layers to a sheet of plywood, usually the outer layer, the middle layer, and the outer layer are all pine and then something else is in the middle. But uh, they also make veneer out of <clears throat> white oak and other hardwoods and uh, use that as a decorative layer over, you know, cabinets, for example. So that's a tree trunk that doesn't have a lot of branches on it, right? Because every time there's a branch, yes. it's... Uh, yes, so we, we talked about white oak staves being our highest value product earlier. <clears throat> In close second would be white oak veneer. And, yeah, it is essentially a very high... Uh, value log with minimum to no defects that has been peeled uh, and, and that peeling provides a cover uh, for, for something else, yes. Okay. Our guest today is T.R. Clark. He's the regional manager with R&W Forest Services. This is Let's Talk Land. We'd like to thank our sponsors Land Hub. Land Hub, sell your land, land of your dreams, and Acre Value. What a great site that is too. If you want to know who owns the field down the road or what it sold for last year, the best place to research land, and it's all free, is acrevalue.com. TR, tell us about the company, FW Forestry. I can do that. So uh, I talked about it a little bit in the very beginning, but F&W Forestry is, is a company that's been around for, oh goodness, ne- nearly 60 years now. And, uh, again, it has its roots here in Alabama and Georgia. But uh, it is a, a forest management uh, company. It is a timberland consulting company. And, you know, here in, in my office specifically, I work for institutional landowners who, you know, pension funds, etc. and they buy timberland as an asset. And we do the the on-the-ground management for them here out of my office. And then out of our central office, we may do, you know, some back office type work for them, accounting, planning, uh, mapping, inventory. Uh, So we we advertise ourselves as a full-service forest management company, which we are. Um, We we have a pretty nice footprint. Uh, We got linked up with a... Uh, institutional firm back in the 80s and as they grew we kind of grew with them so they would tell us of course I wasn't around then this is this is just you know me hearing the history of the company a little bit but say they bought land in South Carolina they would come to us and say hey we need a manager in South Carolina so we would expand and either send one of our guys up there or find a capable a capable person in the area and establish an office that way. 
and uh, the, the end result of that is uh, you know, we, we are actively managing timber in, in every state in the southeast, say Texas, Florida, Virginia, uh, Ohio, and every state in between there. We also are in the northeast, you know, Pennsylvania, New York, New Hampshire, Maine, etc., Midwest, um, Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, and, and also the Pacific Northwest, uh, California, Oregon, and um, it, we've even followed these institutional landowners overseas. We, we manage land in, uh, in uh, Uruguay and Brazil. Uh, we, we have offices in the UK. So F&W has, has really, really grown uh, in the last well, gosh, really 15 or 20 years, particularly internationally. And, um, you know, one thing that we do is we, we want to keep our humble beginnings. Uh, you know, we, we have grown. We're proud of that. But, but we also operate very regionally. Uh, it's, it's, I'm, I'm proud of what our company has done overall and, and that we're operating overseas. But my focus is here uh, in Midwest Georgia and East Central Alabama, and the, the company really allows me to focus on you know, my, my client base here, and, and they enable me to be able to you know, cater to the needs of the clients that I have here. Now, we do, because of our size, we're able to pull resources and, and tackle a large regional job through, through sharing uh, you know, manpower. Uh, so, so we have advantages of a large company, but, but we really strive to keep a small company feel and really small company trust with, with our clients. Uh, and each location, you know, has a, a different uh, level of, of manpower capability. But here, uh, you know, I've got four foresters uh, that work for me directly on staff. I have an admin here that, that helps straight uh, and, and uh, really makes things flow smoothly so that we can stay <clears throat> in the woods and, and a catering to our, our clients' needs. So um, that's, that's really a, a, a brief overview of the company. There's, there's so many moving parts here. Uh, you know, one thing, you know, this, this is a real estate show, and, and one capability that we do have is is real estate. I, I maintain a broker's license in Alabama and a salesperson's license in Georgia. And just just by nature of the job and to have the ability to meet my clients' needs, we also have the ability, of course, to, to sell and look for and help our clients buy timberland. Uh, and that, that is where our expertise is. If, if you roll up in here and ask me to sell your house, I'm, I'm probably going to turn you away because that is not what we do. It's not what I know how to do. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that is kind of an overview of, of our company and our services, our footprint, et cetera. That's quite a company. <laughs> yes, sir. Proud to be part of it. I understand that. I didn't realize you were that uh, diversified in terms of location. Yes. Yes. But big, big company, but uh, we, we do maintain a, a small company feel, or at least we have been able to up to this well, see, it is more family than it is corporate yeah. America. So, well, forest, forestry is a is a uh, specialized area, uh, and with specialized professionals. And I don't think you could probably have a better school to go to uh, 
uh, than NC State. And I want to ask you a question because I've heard this, that uh, the forestry program actually started with uh, Vanderbilt, Nashville. Is that true? They, they call that the cradle of forestry. Yeah. Yes, sir. So, I mean, we, you know, I, I think it was founded right right underneath the Biltmore, Biltmore House there. Uh, and uh, In the basement. When, when, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and, and from there, it, it's just, you know, it, it, and that wasn't worldwide. It, you know, it, uh, there was a forestry management uh, uh, worldwide, and it's expanded, obviously, now. Uh, because it has. The, and, uh, again, yeah, it, it absolutely, forest management has its roots in, in North Carolina. It absolutely does. You know, it's interesting, uh, just talking about value of land. Uh, in your in your perspective because I have mine it's just an objective thing but uh, when you when you clear cut a piece of land it decreases the value because you've taken the cash off right so but, it it takes the timber value right. off of the land right but it also takes the market value if I've got a stand of timber 50 acres and it's mature timber marketable and and beside of it we just clear cut a piece of land I'm not going to get the same retail price for that when I'm marketing that, that, that product. But there's always a basis of uh, value. Uh, you know, I use about 1800 to 2200 uh, you know, on an acreage tract that's been clear-cut uh, for a lot of reasons because uh, if you're letting it grow back in natural uh, or even planting it in pines, because you can spray those, but, <clears throat> you know, you're looking at 10 to 15 years before you can really walk the property because of the undergrowth until you get a canopy. Yep, yep. So a couple, couple points there is, you know, usually, at least in this market, uh, you know, there you have the land value and then you have the timber value. And, of course, if you cut the timber, that timber value is removed. But a lot of times the, the dirt value doesn't fluctuate much once the timber value is removed. Uh, and typically this market, even though <clears throat> a new plantation is not going to be marketable for 15 or 20 years, this market does recognize value of a new plantation, even if it's pre-merchantable. But if you allow it to just grow naturally and, and grow wild and woolly, uh, it, it's going to be a very long time before there's any appreciable value right. for, for a natural, occur, naturally occurring stand. If I had, <clears throat> if I had 50 acres on one side of the road and 50 acres on the other side of the road, and it was the same varietal, same age. One side of the road's growing 10 to 20 percent faster and better than the other side. Of the road. Is that because of the soil and the drainage and soil. orientation? Yep, could, there could be a lot of factors. If, it's, if it was planted the same time and it's the same genetics, uh, most likely it's it's soil. That, that causes one side to grow faster than the other. And, and if you're in the hills, it could be aspect. It could be the side of the hill that it's on. Is it is it dry and sunny, or is it, you know, uh, in the shade and moist? So there there's a lot of factors at play there. But, uh, yeah, if it's planted at the same time <clears throat> and uh, one side's growing faster than the other, there's definitely an outside factor involved. I've always heard the northwest side is usually uh, in, in a Hilly areas uh, generally a better growing orientation because it gets more sun. The sun, 
you know, because certain crops, uh, you know, it's based on sunlight and how many sunlight hours, corn, you know, a lot of the That's right. farm crops. That's right. or does trees have that same uh, same uh, valuation? Yep. So we, we have what we call photo period, and actually <clears throat> that has more to do with the timing of, say, you know, deciduous trees losing their leaves than it does when it just gets cold. Um, so the, the amount of sunlight determines... A, a lot of things more so than than often does does weather. Uh, just just some interesting things about tree physiology there. So. We had a show uh, several years ago. We had a couple in Duck Duckfield, but uh, we were talking about how trees communicate through the root system. Yep. And uh, in the old days, he was talking about when they would timber uh, land, uh, they would leave what they call the mother trees, uh, the most healthiest trees or tree. Uh, in an area and not cut it so as the younger trees came up it was already inoculating the younger ones with whatever was going on in the soil and the environment is that is that an accurate statement i don't know how applicable that is to our pine forest in particular <clears throat> in the southeast right. it may have some application to, with the hardwoods you, yeah, we, the we were talking about the hardwoods right yeah. but uh, you know one thing that that trees need to be able to process nutrients out of the soil is mycorrhizae. And, uh, you know, a lot of your pine seedling nurseries, well, all of them really, that they're adding mycorrhizae to the root systems before they leave the nursery. Uh, and okay. I, that may be one thing that they're, that they're insinuating is that you know, the mother trees, if they're there and alive, once the next generation is established, then they have the mycorrhizae on their roots, and they transfer those to the new, the new seedlings, the new saplings. So, you know, I think our nursery system is mimicking nature in that respect. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that. I was watching a show on uh, YouTube. I do a lot of research there, and a uh, lady had done thirty some years ago had uh, done some carbon injections in uh, three different types of trees, and and uh, and then watch how that carbon would transfer over time to the other trees, <clears throat> totally isolated other than through the root system. So yeah, I think I read an article actually that was, and I don't remember if it was the Wall Street Journal, but there it was entitled Mother Trees, and it was about this, so prob probably the same one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so fascinating. It's uh, it's probably my, my favorite uh, subject in, in brokering land all these years is, uh, is to learn as much as I can, and thank you for your presentation, obviously today, because uh, it adds to that. And it's you know I tell people, you know, land's just a little four-letter word, but if you put a tail on it and start dissecting that tail, you can take all the different things—the soils, the trees, the you know all the elements, water, the wetlands, uh, uh, wetland mitigation. It just it just goes on and on. That's why we're doing we're up to 207 shows, <laughs> and I still haven't covered all the stuff that that, that I'm aware of. It's, oh, you, you could run this show on, on brand new subject matter for years. <laughs> well, we're, we're in our fifth year, so yes. <laughs> we just keep going, and I love, I love it, and I love getting folks on like you who can share their expertise and what they do uh, sure. and help other people out there because there's really no land education uh, in our real estate industry other than the Realtors Land Institute. And I actually teach a four-hour CE class in the state of North Carolina for CE credit, and I'm finding out doing these shows, talking to AFCs around the country, I think I'm the only one, and it's, uh, I, I mean, it blows my mind. 
So uh, hopefully the show helps people. Can you get into a little bit um, something that you wanted to talk about, not in detail, but just share some of your observations and expertise? These carbon programs, uh, we've had several of the carbon companies on, and one of them was talking about uh, carbon credits for tree and, and forestry land. And the idea, and I may be quoting this wrong, uh, but it seems to me, uh, let's say on, the, on your softwoods, you're cutting, what, 20, 25 to 30 years, and your hardwoods, you're 40 to 60 years. Uh, if you extend those times before you cut, because you're not disturbing the soil and the carbon, uh, that there's some carbon credits out there. So I'm, I'm going to give you a, a 30,000 foot view of, of carbon. I understand. It's not your expertise, but you're, you, you're aware of it, right? I'm, I'm very aware of it and, and have had some involvement with, with uh, the carbon markets, not, not to a great extent. Uh, so I, I know just enough to be dangerous, so okay. just take what I say with a grain of salt. We got it. Yes, sir. But, um, you know, th this, this whole carbon trading thing really uh, – kind of poked its head up for the first time, at least that I was aware of, uh, you know, back around, I guess, the early, early mid-2000s, and uh, it, it short, sort of lost uh, momentum with, with the change of administrations, and, uh, you know, so we, we, we have one now that is, is encouraging it to some extent, but uh, a lot of carbon programs have come and gone. Uh, a lot of them are having trouble getting their feet off the ground, getting verification, uh, and at least in, in my experience with them, for the clients that I cater to, it's been hard to advise clients to sign up into these programs um, for landowners that have small woodlots, say, you know, 58, you know, 50 acres, 100 acres, even 500 acres. Um, I, I don't know what all the carbon programs are able to pay, but from what I've heard and, and from what feedback I've gotten, it hasn't been enough yet to get landowners to, at least on the smaller scale, to change their management regime or what their management plans are. Um, and, of course, I, I don't want to quote prices because I, it, it's hearsay, uh, but it, it roughly equated to what some landowners are getting, for, you know, for a hunting lease um, in in this area. And uh, you know, when you consider, you know, the, a, a pine stand here that could grow you, you know, a hundred dollars per acre per year, it's just not enough to get landowners to choose <clears throat> purposefully to defer payment. Uh, there are some programs that, you know, would, you know, advertise, to allow landowners to sign up for a year over year, um, but, you know, those have had just such trouble getting off the ground. The traditional programs uh, are expensive, uh, and there, there's quite the process to get your property enrolled and set up to, to participate in those programs. Uh, if, if you have 5,000, 10,000 acres, <clears throat> perhaps you can, you know, afford to begin to participate in them. Uh, but they also have a, you know, 20, 50-year, you know, perhaps a 100-year 
uh, commitment horizon. And, uh, you know, again, for, for the folks that I work for, it's, it's very difficult to advise somebody to begin to enroll in such a program and, and obligate your property for that amount of time when we don't know what the market's going to be in the future. Um, so what I know about the carbon programs, at least at this point in time, is I'm still in a wait-and-see mode. Um, especially for the clients that I cater to. I'm, I'm not ready to <clears throat> pull the trigger and advise clients to begin to go out and, sell, and sign up and try to either get deferral credits or to try to get you know pay, payment for deferring uh, or, or signing up in a carbon program. So that that's kind of the quick and dirty, but uh, I, I do not have a lot of comfort with them at this time. I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the same place you are. We've done, like Teresa and I have done, I don't know, at least three or four one thing that was holding them back was the methodology of being able to, to uh, determine the uh, plus and minus of carbon over periods of time. Yeah. And there was one company we interviewed uh, it was a couple of years ago, but they claimed that they were like one of the first ones that uh, had a device that could actually go out in the field and, and monitor that. But it was like a three to five year period, but it was supposedly being... Uh, uh, accepted pretty much internationally, so I don't know, I, I, you know. But it comes up, uh, you know, I know we've got uh, Landgate as one of our sponsors too, and, and that's one of the programs they have, uh, along with cellular and, and uh, oil and gas and wind and, and, uh, and substations for, for new electric cars and vehicles. But, right. Uh, so I, I want to move, move you in one more direction here. We've got... Mm, Probably about six or seven minutes left. Help you out. Okay. <clears throat> I know uh, I've been doing this for 30 years, and I remember during that period of time, for years, the uh, major timber companies, uh, the warehousers and so on, uh, you know, they used to own their own land. Uh, but right. we went through a period uh, of several years where they actually sold off the land because I think their model chains were, you know, instead of tying up their capital and, and land assets, it was uh, more beneficial to actually sell and rent back. Uh, is that cycle pretty much ended? You know, we're, well, I think we're on a, a new part of that cycle. So, yes, the, the warehousers, the champions, <clears throat> et cetera, the international papers in said 60s, 70s, and 80s, they, they amassed enormous, enormous land bases and, and uh, really fed their meals uh, largely through those land bases. And then they figured out that hey, we can sell this land uh, and still get the timber. So, you know, a lot of who bought that timber, those timber lands were the TMOs, the, the timber management, uh, timber investment management organizations who a lot of I work for now, uh, the institutional folks like, like a John Hancock or, you know, somebody like that. Um, but now a lot of those TMO properties have, have become so investment-minded that, uh, you know, they, those properties kind of changed hands between the team modes for, for years. But but now, particularly with, you know, improved land markets, uh, you know, they're, they're not so worried about holding on to the timber resource anymore. They're beginning to, you know, sell those properties retail. Uh, so a lot of our, our team mode clients now will, will purchase a, a large package, you know, something that may have been once upon a time, Warehouser Land or St. Joe Land or, you know, Champion, and uh, 
they they may manage the timber uh, at, you know, for a few years, but towards the end of, of their investment period, rather than flipping it to another TMO, they'll piece it out and begin to sell it retail and get a little better return on their investment. So a lot of your old warehouse land uh, is now owned in you know, 50, 100, 200-acre blocks by a doctor, a lawyer, uh, some somebody that, that wanted a you know, cabin in the woods or a place to deer hunt, a lot of recreationalists. So, you know, the, the land bases that were here years and years ago, they're becoming more and more and more segmented. How is that affecting the uh, market? Uh, and we'll talk about the future market, but how has that been affecting the market, this transition? It, okay, what, what part of the market? Sure. What part of the market, he said? No, I'm just saying, uh, uh, how is that affected by this transition from the from – the, uh, timber guys, the timber owners, the paper mills and so on, going to the devos that you're talking about. And now, how is that affecting, I mean, is, is there still a lot of timber being sold? I mean, yes. if, you're controlling, if you're controlling the timber by owning the land, that's one thing. If you're now doing contract, that's another thing. But now you're saying it's being pieced out. So I guess it's up to the individual owners. You mentioned doctors and so on, professional people that have invested wisely in land. Uh, you know, are they? They're still marketing the timber. I would assume they're still marketing the timber. Okay, and, that was my and, yeah. And and to speak for this region specifically, uh, you know, just about every mill in this part of the world is full of timber. So the uh, the, the timber is still getting to the market, even though it's not owned by the large companies anymore. Right. My consulting partners that I work with, and I have several for different reasons and because it is a diversified uh, uh, industry. Uh, yes. When, when, when clients ask them, how much is my timber work, I, I got my favorite one, uh, Bill Overbill, I mentioned his name, uh, but uh, uh, registered forester and, and certified forester, but uh, he always comes back and says, well, it just depends, <laughs> because it does. There's, you know, what does it worth? It's worth whatever somebody will pay you for it. <laughs> that, that is the absolute truth. It's uh-huh. worth what somebody pays for it. Like somebody says, how much is land worth today? And I said, well, is it an Oldsmobile? Is it a Toyota? How old is it? I mean, how many miles on it? I mean, there's so many variables of land. It's a hard question to just kind of give a, uh, a price value on, on, on a you know, general question like that. That's right. What, where do you see the timber market going, say, in the next couple of years? Uh, and if you can do longer range than that, but definitely next yep. couple of years. Sure. So, you know, again, I, I had to give two talks at a landowner association a couple of weeks ago. One was a nuts and bolts of selling timber, and another one was a timber market outlook. And I'm, I'm going to give you just a quick summary. But in, in this market, uh, pulp wood is getting tough. We've had uh, two major pulp mills to close in this region over the last uh, three or four years, and it's had a ripple effect across the region. So once you lose a pulp mill, they say you'll never get it back because I don't know that our you know, that our system would ever uh, permit the building of a of a pulp mill again. So pulp mill outlook is is not so great. Um, on the other hand, our our salt timber markets look pretty darn good. So one one good thing that we've done here, probably too good, is we grow more timber here every year than we cut. And so we, we have an amassing inventory of, of pine saw timber. And 
companies, particularly Canadian companies, are noticing that we grow timber well. Uh, companies are looking to get out of the uh, you know Pacific Northwest, out of out of Canada, because the regulations are getting very tough over there to do business, or they're losing the resource to beetles or fire, and they're finding the Southeast to be uh, full of what they want to harvest and it's a friendly place to do business. So I really feel like our saw timber markets, while while they may not be great at the moment, uh, the outlook is, is great for saw timber here okay. long term. Well, I'm going to have to cut us off. I hate to say it, but uh, uh, it's been a great show. You've been a wonderful guest. And obviously, with this type of subject, you're more than welcome to come back more than once because we can have a lot of shows based around your expertise. Sure. Um, let, let, you want to let the folks know how they get in touch with you, T.R.? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I can be reached by email. Uh, my email is tclark at fwforestry.com. Our office number is 334-864-9542. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today and let us know how you like the show. All questions and comments are welcome. This show is for the public and, most importantly, for real estate agents who do not have a source of land education. All of our shows can be found on our master website, www.letstalkland.net. That's .net. Also, you'll find us on Spotify and Podbean. Teresa, how do they get in touch with you? Now, Lou, they can go to our website at mylandpro.com and find either of us. Oh. Or they can email me at teresa.mylandpro at gmail.com. Okay. And we also have another partner, Abby uh, Hazel, so uh, and, and the new agent. So we're all there on the website. Um, get my, um, I'm sorry, I blanked out there. My email is <laughs> Lou at <laughs> mylandpro.com. My cell phone number is 336-669-1405. Our master website that Teresa mentioned is www.mylandpro. Who's your land pro? Mylandpro.com. Hey, we'd like to thank our sponsors, landhub.com. View thousands of properties for sale at landhub.com and AcreValue. AcreValue is the only website I need to research land. Righty, how do they get in touch with us here? Well, Lou, they can go to our website, go to WKTE1090.com, and also they can download the Simple Radio app and hear us anywhere in the world. What do you mean simple? Very simple. Simple, Simple, isn't that right, Teresa? Simple. Yes. Mm. Interesting. And what do we play, Teresa? Happy music. Uh, that's right. Beach and oldies. You want to be happy, don't you, Lou? I love to be happy. That's, that's right. why I listen to it every day. That's right. So, see. Uh, I wake up with it. I go to, to bed with it. Now and so it keeps me happy all day. That's right. Hey, we won some nice awards. Yeah, eight years in a row being the top Beach and oldies radio station. Really? Yes, really. Where? Everywhere from the East Coast here. No, you got yes. the Simple Radio app. Well, yes, but, you know, that is in a different category, really, right now. But if we combine them all, yes. Is that why we're an international show, because of the Simple Radio app? That's true, yes. Really? Mm-hmm. So you can listen to us anywhere in the universe. Uh, that's right. I wonder if those guys out there, those other planets, listen to us. <laughs> they could be. Huh? Could be. The Martians. Yeah, yeah they could be listening, dancing, and everything. Oh. <laughs> Having a good time. <laughs> And you won a nice award, huh? Yeah, the Reader's Choice Announcer of the Year Award. How did you do that? I have no clue. 
lucky, I guess. Really? Yeah. How long have you been doing this? About uh, 30-some years. No. Wherever way, yes. Wow. Coming up on 40. Really? Yeah. 37 to 40? Mm-hmm. Are you going to skip some years? Yeah. Might as well. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to seeing you next week.